This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com breadbox. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome to Me, a weekly podcast that seeks to encourage, inspire, and lift you up to be all you were created to be. Words are powerful. Recognizing and celebrating the impact they have on our lives can comfort or challenge us, or both at once. I'm your host, Lindsay Schlegel, and I'm so glad you're here. Today, I hope we can honor the truth, beauty, and goodness of well-chosen language and so glorify God. Let's begin. Our guest today is Julia Golding, writer and project uh, I'm sorry, writer and director of Project Northmore, a campaign to save J.R.R. Tolkien's home, where he wrote The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings trilogy, and to establish the first literary center in the world dedicated to Tolkien. Julia, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm glad to have you here today. It's lovely Uh, to see you, Lindsay. Yes. Um, So we're going to jump right in. Um, The quote today sounds like it could have been written like yesterday, but it's actually from the Fellowship of the Ring. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. So this is super fitting as we're nearing a full year of living pandemic life. Um, I'm so glad you brought this to us. Can you tell us a little about why you chose this quote and and where Tolkien and your lives uh, intersect? Yes. So that particular quote is one of my touchstones. It's the quote that I often comfort myself with when there is a difficult time, even before COVID. Um, It comes at the beginning of the novel, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, when Frodo is trying to decide, should he leave his home where he's comfortable and go out and try and take the ring away from the Shire? Or should he just ignore that this is happening, you know, just reject it all? Um, In the Peter Jackson version of the films, they've used the same quote, but it comes much later. So your listeners may have already heard it in the film. There they put it at a moment in the minds of Moria when things are getting a bit dark and grim for the fellowship on the journey. But the sentiment is the same. I think it fits any stage of your life. The idea that hey, guys, we can't change the things that we're born to experience. That is the deal of our life, and that's not something in our control. But what we can control is how we react. That's a very poor paraphrase. Gandalf says it better. And I think it's particularly poignant thinking about um, Tolkien and his generation, who, of course, included his great friend C.S. Lewis, because their experience of this was to go through the First World War Both of them served in the trenches in the First World War. Um, Tolkien himself was at the very famous Battle of the Somme, which was um, the worst day of casualties for the British Army during that war. Horrible, horrible time. 
Um, and then, of course, by the time he gets to write Lord of the Rings, living in 20 Northmore Road, the house where um, the campaign is about, his son is fighting the Second World War. So there's an, you could see the older man telling the younger man, his son, that this is perhaps a perspective on what they're both living through. So for all those reasons, it's, it's not just a glib statement, it's something which he earned an experience. And that for me makes it really important. Yeah. Uh, you kindly asked about my own um, connections to Tolkien. Well, uh, they are many, but it starts with a 10 year old girl living on the other near London, picking up Lord of the Rings one summer holiday, lying on the sofa and not leaving that sofa <laughs> for however long it took to read it. And I got to the end of the third book and thought, I don't want to leave this world. I'm going back. So I literally wow. picked up the first book again. So I started oddly with Lord of the Rings rather than The Hobbit, which isn't the right way around. Um, but anyway, that was my experience. And I think the thing that is important for me, as well as starting a love of fantasy, it also started that desire to, I want to do that. I want to make that spell with words that means that somebody is so involved in what I write that they want to go back in. Um, I don't write like Tolkien. That's, I'm not trying to be like him in how I write, but I want to create the same effect. Um, and that's sort of the, I think all writers, well, almost all writers have that as their goal. That yeah. Was have that communication with your readers. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you describe that of not actually trying to imitate him, maybe his sentence structure or, or exact know. his character development, but the feeling that you get from it and the experience that you get from it. Yeah, I think that's one of the important things about creativity. I know that's your wider interest in your podcast, isn't it? That um, we, when we're learning a craft, we do go through a stage of imitation. That is particularly true of um, anyone who's doing, you know, like fine art. Uh, you often they're encouraged to copy great masters and things to learn the craft. That's really necessary stage. And you might find if you're a young writer out there, and I mean by young writer, not necessarily in age, but just you've decided to start writing yeah. during lockdown. Yeah. Um, you may find that you're writing things a bit like your favourite writer, be that, I don't know, Tolkien or Stephen King. I don't know who it is. Um, don't worry about that, because that's the sort of chrysalis stage that you need to go through before you are able to burst from that. Oh, as yeah. a butterfly, of course, or a moth, if you're into moths. But um, the idea is that you need to learn those steps so that you then can find your own voice afterwards. And that's all of that process is creative. But the most freeing moment is when you are able to abandon the things that you imitated. Yes. Yes. And I think it comes. When it comes most authentically and it comes naturally, that's when it's the most successful. You know, I think you can try to force yourself into oh, I've been writing kind of fan fiction and I want to do something else on my own. And you can try to force it. But there's something I don't know how to I don't know how to describe it. Maybe I'm not totally there yet either as a writer, but you just kind of start to find your own voice. I'm thinking of like my my children um, and watching them even learn to walk and learn to talk. Right. First, they imitate you and they watch how you're doing it. And then and they're listening. Right. Especially in their language are listening. And then they start to find their own voice. Um, mm. So even for people who wouldn't maybe call themselves creators or artists, there's still something in each of us of finding our own individual self 
as we develop, but it's it comes from looking at others around us who have kind of already figured it out. Yeah, there's a really good quote, which I, another of my favorite quotes um, from C.S. Lewis about this, which is, um, you don't try and be original. Um, anybody who set out trying to be original is destined to fail. But if you just don't care tuppence, that was his, that means like a dime. If you don't care tuppence about that and just tell the truth, you will find out that you are original. That's a paraphrase of what he was saying. But, um, you know, the, the the point there is is true that just don't care and that will end up being original. Whereas if you if you start thinking, hmm, what is the new avant-garde voice that, uh, you know, yes. the fashion voice, that's hopeless. Um, you can because to... the reader is going to see right through it. You can tell. You yeah. can tell when you're reading if something was really, it was just so formed so perfectly and so beautifully and completely, or if it's forced and you can kind of you know see the author's hand in something. And it's not as enjoyable to read. And you don't. The reader doesn't get it. like no one wins. <laughs> it yeah, seems like because you're trying to rush it, but it doesn't work that way. And I like the emphasis in that quote, which I've slightly misquoted, but that if you Google it, you'll find it's in that form roughly. Um, the idea of telling the truth that you've got to work out what is your truth so what is your truth uh, in that story that's what you should be thinking about not am I being original am I being fashionable am I you know all that stuff is 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 not important it is what is the truth uh, in this context that you want to tell right can we believe that this character made this decision even if it's not at all the decision we would have made and we can see that it's the wrong choice but can we believe that that you know are you coming with them you're coming with the author. Yeah. And also the underlying themes as well. Uh, yes. That's that's also where it fits in is what is your story that you want to tell? What's true to you? You don't want to tell the story that, I don't know, if, if you, this is, there is this whole world about cultural uh, appropriation, isn't there? I don't want to go down that route. But what is true about that is you don't want to pretend you know the experience of another person that's not your truth you tell your version of that truth yes. it doesn't stop you imagining yourself into that space but always right. always acknowledge your starting point is different so you're putting yeah. this forward as your version of that experience right and um, everyone's v- viewpoint is valid Everyone. I mean, i'm not saying you can only write it on the point of view of whatever you know for me that would be a a mature <laughs> a woman living in Oxford. I, I'm, I'd be a very boring book. I can be pirates and aliens and ghosts and I don't know. I I can be all sorts of other things too in my imagination. But I also have to work out what's the truth that I'm telling from where I'm sitting and start be happy with that, not pretend to have another yeah. identity. Yeah. So that's the kind of um, the kind of lesson and the kind of. I guess maybe workshop that you're looking to bring to Project Northmore is that the kind of thing that God willing this program comes to fruition yeah no that's exactly the it can have so much fun because um I found that one of the things that really inspire me is feeling I'm in touch with the people who I I rate you know who I look up to and sort of seeing what sparked their imagination it will spark mine in a different way but in the case of Tolkien, for example, being able to sit in the study where looking out in the same garden front and back that he looked out on in exactly the same. Oxford hasn't changed that much. I mean, it's pretty much the same as it was when he, when he lived there. Um, still the university city. So 
being able to cycle around Oxford, see the places he went to, the parks, the colleges, the libraries, but also um, something that I've only really come to appreciate more under lockdown, oddly, is how the local area, I'm talking now in a sort of 50 mile radius, how a lot of that comes into Lord of the Rings. Because we, we tend to think that, and the Silmarillion and the other books, we tend to think that New Zealand is Middle Earth, uh, don't we? That they, they put it on the posters. I think they basically moved in and said, hey, New Zealand is Middle Earth. Um, it isn't, isn't, because in fact, a lot of the landscapes, particularly the Shire, is very specifically around this area where I live. Uh, the Cotswolds, the thatched cottages, places where my parents live and my, my husband's parents live. And we are hobbits around here. You know, if you're going to sort us into our... Uh, our races I'm afraid we're all pretty hobbit like I think I'm very hobbit like uh, I would like to be an elf but really I'm a hobbit I'm home loving and like gardening you know all that kind of thing um and then there is there are some more majestic landscapes very easily reached within Oxford uh, a short journey from Oxford so one of my most favorite places in the country is this wonderful white horse that was carved on the hillside on the downs um, 3,000 years ago and it's a very mod it, well to us it looks like a modern art version of a horse it's very it's about five or six lines uh, inscribing a horse onto the hillside and it's miraculous in a number of ways one the vision and the second is the fact that it survived because this is chalk on a hillside um, which has been maintained think of all the generations who had to maintain that and then when T Tolkien came and looked at it uh, it's one of the sources for Rohan if you remember Rohan, uh, we may not have read Lord of the Rings, but there's a very important horse people uh, culture about horses. And their um, flag is a white horse and Gandalf has a white horse called Shadowfax. And this is a version of Shadowfax on the hill. Uh, and right near that, this is like the icing on the icing, is there's a wonderful barrow. Now, barrows are old tombs, again, about the same age, 3,000 years old. Um, made of stone with a, like a grass covering, would have had um, stones blocking it. And uh, again, in Lord of the Rings, there's a very spooky scene, didn't make it into the movies, but it's a really good scene, where Frodo and the other hobbits get captured by barrow rites. They're like, you know, spirits of the treasure mounds in these barrows. And you could really sense that when you go to uh, Wayland Smithy, which is the name of this barrow. So I would just love, I would love to take people around this area. And the bizarre thing is, there is nowhere in Oxford that does this. Um, I, I don't know why. I don't know why, because, well, we do have lots and lots of writers. We've got, you know, there's probably even more presence for Alice in Wonderland because um, Lewis Carroll came from here. And there is a house for uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, but, you know, it's such a, I don't know, gap in the market or something. And I would love to be able to take writers to these places and to people who are interested in Tolkien, not just writers. Sure. Show sure. them and um, perhaps reclaim a little tiny bit of the original Middle Earth from New Zealand. Yeah. Um, just to say I love this, the idea of looking also, back and celebrating Tolkien, but at the same time looking forward to inspire new artists. Yeah. I that's beautiful. That's the that's what we want to be doing as creative people. That's just like who we are as people, right? We need to keep looking back to see where we came from, but keep looking forward to see where we're going next. And I do think Tolkien would, I can't put thoughts in, he's, but I've got a feeling 
that that part of it he would like. Um, he was very, um, I think, shy of the whole fan culture because, uh, you know, he, he, a man of his generation would have found some of that a bit um, su surprising. Uh, but I think because he writes in an essay on something he called Mythopoeia that we are in the position of sub-creators. So you have God as the great creator, but writer and artist are sub-creators. So we have our own little worlds that we sub-create, and that's honouring the fact that we're made in the image of God. Yes. And I love that because one of the most difficult things, particularly before you're published, I mean, I I can go and make stuff up in, on my computer and I'm working, so it's fine for me now, I'm a professional writer. But before that stage, when I was fitting in writing around childcare and study and all those other things I've done, it did feel a bit, oh, I'm kind of doing it for myself, but you're not. You're sub-creating, you're doing it because you're expressing that element in you. And I get so much joy, which fills me from doing that. And the more joy we can pump out into the world, as a really, you know, let's put that out, not greenhouse gases. Let's yeah. spread joy um, and really celebrate the fact that all of us have this creative impulse in them. Yes. Yes, a thousand percent. Yes, I agree with all of that. Uh, I want to keep chatting with you, but we're just running out of time. Um, so I just want to make sure everyone knows in the in the show notes, um, we're linking to projectnorthmore.org. Um, I also put your Instagram account there because there's some really beautiful images with um, text on your Instagram. So I think people should pop over there um, so people can donate to this project, either just a straight out donation or through a Kickstarter um, that's happening right now. That's right. Yeah, much appreciated. So we will be doing something. We're going full out to get this house, um, but we're definitely still going to be doing creative courses around Tolkien, whatever happens. So keep in touch with the website. Um, we're still going to be creative, whatever the outcome. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love chatting with you. Thank you, Lindsay. Listeners, to suggest a quote or a guest, follow the show on Instagram, quote me underscore podcast, or contact me at my website, lindsayschlegel.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review wherever you find your shows, and tell a friend. Until next time, God bless you.